0: Hey, welcome to Downtown Community Church. My name is Ben Kemp, I'm the pastor here. Um, I want to say a couple things. Number one, welcome. Um, We're so thankful that you're here. And I don't know if you guys know how church works, um, but last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and this Sunday is the Sunday after Easter. Um, And if you know how church roll works, that means nobody's supposed to show up because everybody showed up last week. Um, So I just want to say, I'm thankful that you guys are here. In fact, you guys, again, if you could earn your salvation, you might have just done that by showing up two weeks in a row. I mean, you know, three weeks and you're a member here. So if you're kind of on the fence, don't come next week. So just kidding. Um, we are uh, in the middle of a, a series that we really kind of started last week. It's a four-part series, and it's called Starting Point. Um, the tagline behind this whole idea is what does it look like to come to an adult starting point in faith? What does it look like to come to an adult starting point in faith? Because everything has a starting point. Um, every relationship has a starting point. Every idea has a starting point. Every business has a starting point. Um, every you know, career has a starting point. In fact, here's what's interesting. Your faith and my faith had a starting point. And for many of us, we were raised in and around families um, that kind of gave us a faith. And whether that was a Christian faith or a Jewish faith or perhaps, you know, it was an Islamic faith. I mean, whatever faith that you were raised in, um, many of us were given faith. And for those of us who weren't in a faith-filled family, um, you were probably around people of faith. And so you pieced together what to you made sense at the time. But here's what all of us have experienced in some capacity or another the faith that we're oftentimes given as a child doesn't mesh with our experience as adult the faith that we're given as a child oftentimes doesn't mesh with our experience as an adult and so the idea behind this series is almost it's like what would it look like to hit the restart button if you're in here perhaps you're struggling with faith you're struggling with the idea of god you're struggling with the idea of christianity what does it look like to come to an adult starting point in faith because again Many of us, many of us, many of us grew up in and around churches and we were given a faith, but at some point we walked away from the faith. At some point we decided perhaps maybe we didn't disagree with it, but it was a little bit irrelevant to what we went on in our daily life. You know, you went to to college or perhaps, you know, you moved on from college, you started a new job or you went from one job to another job or you started a family. And somewhere along the way, it's not that you made a big decision that I hate God, because that's kind of an, an intense decision, but perhaps that's you. But for most of us, the reality is we walk away from our faith because sometimes our faith becomes irrelevant sometimes our faith just doesn't meet the rigors of the real world so what does it look like as an independent seeking adult to come to a starting point in faith let me, let me tell you how this is a special because many of you in here you're a christian and if you're a christian here's what i know about you god has called you to make a difference in the lives of the people around you god has called you to make a difference in the lives of the people around you. And so, perhaps for you, you've got a friend who's questioning faith. You've got a friend who is thinking about coming to faith. In fact, I have lots of friends, and we see this the longer you've been alive, the more you know this. If you're a parent in here, when you have kids, there's something almost internally, instinctually inside of you that makes you and pushes you to re investigate faith. And so, for those of you who have a friend or a family member, you got somebody in your class. You got somebody that you work with. You've got somebody that you love. What's a good starting point for faith as an adult? I mean, there's a thousand questions that you could ask, and you know this because they've asked a thousand questions. And there's all kinds of things about a literal seven day creation. There's all kinds of things again about you know Jonah and a whale and Noah and the ark and two by two. That's just so outrageous to think that all these little animals came two by two. You know, boy and girl, boy and girl. And what did they come like in twos and pairs? Like were they already married as little squirrels and just kind of like you know on the boat, I mean, how, 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 functionally, how did that work? I mean, come on. To think about all of that, frankly, all at the same time, just seems like it takes such a massive amount of faith that it's sometimes hard to comprehend. It's sometimes hard to think, where in the world do I even start? Because there's so many thoughts, there's so many beliefs, and there's so many different stories as it relates to faith. And it's hard to say, what and where is the starting point for faith? Now, If you missed last week, I don't, 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 we don't promote this often, but if you missed last week, I would just say, you need to go back and listen to last week, because this whole series kind of builds on itself. You can listen to all of our sermons at downtowncommunitychurch.com, we've got podcasts, we've got iTunes, I mean, you know, if you're even quasi-technologically literate, you can find us, DCC Tally. But here's what I say, because this whole thing... builds on itself it's kind of accumulative at the end of the uh, the 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 semester you got classes that they just build and build and build what's similar with this series so last week we started off talking about the resurrection how at the at the end of the day there's tons of things that you can wrestle with but what you have to wrestle with eventually is jesus and specifically within the context of jesus is the resurrection because not many people debate that jesus was a real person not many people debate that jesus did miracles or he did some type of thing that fascinated everybody and awed everybody universally it's thought that jesus taught with wisdom universally it's thought that there were prophecies that happened thousands of years or sometimes hundreds of years before jesus walked on planet earth that he fulfilled whether he could or he couldn't determine those things he couldn't determine where he was born he couldn't determine how he was gonna die but prophets said it and no one really debates any of that the debatable point of jesus is did he, in fact, rise from the dead? And that is the cornerstone. That is the essential part that you have to wrestle with because if he rose from the dead, that changes everything. Because there's no way, let me just tell you, there's no way we're going to agree about a dude getting swallowed by a whale if I don't first believe that a guy can rise from the dead. That is the catalytic part to our faith. The First step. Now today I want to talk about something that we have all wrestled with. I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian. This is something that we've all thought about, that we've all questioned, we've all kind of had some hesitancies towards religion just in general. So here's what I want to talk about. What is the role of rules? What is the role of rules? If you're like me, let me just kind of you know air a couple of things out for you. I am typically um this is this is kind of an understatement. I'm not a rule follower. In fact, you know, I was the kid who, growing up, if you had a rule, then the, I wouldn't want to do what the rule was until you said, "Hey, you can't do that." I'm like, "What?" You know, of course I can do that. I can do whatever I want. There's some kind of a little rebellious streak inside of me that, from time to time, gets me in trouble and makes me think about, a, you know, gosh, should I even be a pastor? Because I just, you know, as soon as somebody puts something in front of me and says, "Hey, you can't go there," "Hey, you can't do that," as soon as you know, that, you know, back in the day, my parents would say, "You know, really, Ben, you know, you ought not do that." Or Grandma would say, "You know, you ought not do that." And I'd say. I didn't realize how much I wanted to do that until you said I couldn't do it. And here's, here's what's interesting. Every religion in the world has a set of rules. Every religion in the world has a set of rules that you ought to live by or you know, the things that you ought to do or the things that you ought not do. Regardless of what religion you believe in, regardless of what religion you're investing in, they all have a set of of rules, And so what I want to talk about today is specifically within Christianity, how rules interface with religion, because there is just an incredible misunderstanding around rules. So let me start off by kind of making a couple of observations that you've probably seen. Number one, within Christianity, and I just speak of Christianity specifically because I am a Christian, and so I can make fun of us, okay? So within Christianity, you know this, there are sets of rules, and then everyone has their own subset of rules that they think are important, you know? You've got the Baptist set of rules, which, like, you can't do anything, you know? You know, if you're raised in a kind of more traditional church, you've got the Catholic set of rules, and they have their own set of rules. You've got the Methodist set of rules, and they kind of have their own set of rules. And then you have the non-denominational set of rules, which nobody thinks we even have rules, you know? Just go do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Oh, Jesus loves you, you know? Just whatever. And so you kind of look into rules and say, you know, where do I, where do I you know, interface and, and, and which set of rules do I go by? Do I go to the Baptist set, the non-denominational, the Methodist set of rules? I mean, everyone has their own set of rules. And here's what's interesting about rules. We probably wouldn't say this, and maybe you thought about this before, but perhaps you never put words to it. Most of us, as we're thinking about rules, or we're thinking about religion, for most of us, our primary hesitancy to engaging in faith is not a theological idea or belief. For most of us, it is a realization that if I decide to follow this, my life must change, and I'm not sure if I want to for most of us it's not we like to honestly cloak it in this idea of intellect we like to cloak it sometimes in this idea of reason but for most of us we're just being honest the reason that we have a hesitancy to engage in faith is because i know what the bible says and i know what the bible says about how i ought to live and not even in like a you know kind of a a juvenile type way where i just want to go crazy and live young wild and free in a way that as an adult you're looking at saying you know what i know what the bible says about generosity and i know what the bible says about giving and i know how much the bible says i ought to give and that's just so unrealistic generosity is funny kind of on both ends because if you make a lot of money you're like there's no way i'm giving up that much money if you don't have much money you're like i don't have anything to give so we all just look at the bible just generically and say you know what it's a little bit unrealistic to give to be generous if you're a student and you're considering you know christianity and you're thinking about it, let me just tell you a lot of it has to do with fun that you think if i'm a christian i'm just not going to have any more fun because i can't drink and i can't have sex and if you're a baptist i can't dance you know you can't hear you know just within reason but as you're thinking about it, there's all these things there's all these issues and all these parameters and here let me, let me tell you how strong and how powerful this is for most of us, if you're, if you're in a position or you looking back at your life, had a time of life where you walked away from your faith. Let me tell you, what probably happened to you, and this isn't 100%, but this is like 98% of the time. What probably happened to you is you didn't come to a reasonable conclusion to walk away from your faith. You decided out of a relationship with God. You decided through decisions that i'm going to go here i'm going to do that i know what the bible says to do but i'm not going to do it i know what my grandma said i ought to do or my dad said i ought not do i know what the bible says to do but i'm not going to do it let me just tell you very few people reason their way and come to a logical non-emotional conclusion to walk away from their faith many people make small decisions after small decision after small decision. After small decision. And sometimes cloak it in reason. Then there was this question I had. There was this thought I had. There was this issue I always had. There was this thing about these people in these other countries. There was this thing about the two by two one arc just didn't make sense to me. Or this thing with a guy and a whale or a little seven days. We cloak it oftentimes in reason. But the reality is, for many of us, if we have walked away from our faith, it's not that we came to a conclusion. It's that we came to a bunch of different decisions. And our faith became increasingly irrelevant to our lives now what i want to spend the rest of the time talking about is what paul talked about as he addressed this role of rules in religion because because if there's one thing that drives people away from religion and christianity specifically oftentimes it's the rules that are associated with it and so paul In fact, in the early church, basically what we're going to go to is we're going to go to a time where Paul and Peter, if you're familiar with the Bible, then you know who those two fellows are. Peter was the guy who was Jesus-like right-hand man, and Paul was the guy who later on became a Christian, hated the church, hated the Christians, had an incredible conversion experience. And we're actually coming in on the tail end of the first ever church accountability. That is, Peter was living in such a way at one point in time where there was two major factions of the church. So g- good news, we're not the first people to re- wrestle with this idea of rules and religion. In fact, this was one of the earliest issues in the entire church as a whole. Because when Jesus came, and Jesus died, and Jesus rose from the dead, all of a sudden the church starts. But the church had two different groups of people. One were all of the Jewish people who had just an extraordinary set of rules, all the things that you could and couldn't do if you were going to be a good joy, Jewish boy or girl. But then there were all the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were like the non-denominational folks. They just had no rules. Who cares? You know, Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter. And so there was just kind of this existing issue that the Jews had rules, rules, rules. Gentiles, no rules, no rules, no rules. Jews, rules, rules, rules. Gentiles, no rules, no rules, no rules. And in the church, there was division and there was discord. Oh my gosh, was there division and discord? Because you had one group of people that said it's only about Jesus. And you had this other group of people that said it's about Jesus and all of these set of rules. And so we're coming in on the conversation when Peter, or Paul, is basically hashing out what happened with Peter. Because Peter went to this place called Antioch. And Antioch was a primarily Gentile-filled church, so no rules, no rules, no rules. And so Peter starts to live like the Gentiles lived, like the Gentile Christians lived. Not that he went crazy, not that he went wild, but there were some customs of things you could eat and couldn't eat, things that you could drink and couldn't drink if you were going to be a Jew. And Peter goes to Antioch and starts, you know, just, just living like the Christian Gentiles until A group of Jews came along. And he said, well, if these people are here, I'm going to start acting a little bit better. Let me tell you, this is kind of like what happens to me on a daily basis. I'll be playing golf with somebody or hanging out with somebody, spending time. And I don't like to leave with the fact, like, hey, I'm Ben Kimfer. I'm a pastor, just so you know. You know, I'm very spiritual. You're not, so, you know, just, just so you know how this works. But here's what happens. I hang out and I interact and and eventually, you know, it comes up, what do you do? Or someone around me says, hey, just so you know, he's a pastor. It's kind of like, you know, telling somebody you're on speakerphone, just like, heads up. <laughs> don't say anything dumb. <laughs> I'm serious. So what happens inevitably is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there talking, and, and, and I say, you know, like, you know, we, talk. Hey, he's a pastor. And then all of a sudden, you can see the, the thoughts going through their head like, dang it, what did I just say? How many cuss words did I just throw out there in a the pastor's here? God, I'm so sorry. You know I mean? You can see the whole system of repentance happening in about a split second in somebody's eyes when I find out I'm a pastor, which I, I don't care, just so you know. So, what happens in this, is this kind of same thing happens, is as these importance as these religious people show up, Paul says, you know what, or Peter says, you know what, I better start acting right. And Paul confronts Peter and says, Peter, you ought not do that. Peter, you ought not do that. Peter, you know, you know it has nothing to do with these rules. Peter, you know that you ought to know that there's freedom in Christ that Peter, you can do, you can do, you can live like a Gentile. And so Paul confronts him and says, you can't have it both ways. And in verse 15 of chapter Galatians, of chapter, chapter 2, verse 15 of Galatians, Paul at the end of this basically parses out for the church of Galatia what he thinks as it relates to rules and religion. In the middle of this huge church turmoil that they had all these people saying, Who cares, who cares, who cares? And the other one saying, rules, 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 rules. So if you got your Bible, you can flip open to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. So he says, We ourselves now when he's talking about that he what he means as peter and paul as, as he kind of you know is talking to the church of galatia he says so we let me just kind of give you a, a preface we ourselves are jews by birth and not gentile sinners now that sounds derogatory and negatively or negative but basically what he's setting up here says hey okay you know church of galatia i'm a jew in other words my natural tendency is to be rules-focused. The way I was raised is to be rules-focused. The way that I'm taught to think is rules, 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 rules. That if you follow enough rules, you'll please God. If you follow enough rules, you'll please God. And that if you don't follow the rules, you're not going to please God. In fact, again, for many of us, the, the, the reason that that's significant is we walked away from our faith because we decided against God. And as we decided against God, we decided that God was unhappy with us. And so Peter and Paul would look in and say, hey, for you rules folks in here, That's my tendency too, is to think the better I perform, the more happy God will be with me. The better I perform, the more times I do what I ought to do instead of doing what I ought not do. The more times I decide not to sin when I could have decided to sin, the happier God and more pleased God is going to be with me. He says, yet we know that a person... Is not justified by works of the law. Now, huge, huge concept and idea here. When he says the law, what he's talking about, it's kind of like for him saying rules. For them, they didn't say, okay, religious framework of rules. They weren't that wordy with stuff. They just had the law. And the law was all of the rules that you had to follow. All the things that you had to do right, all the things that you couldn't do, all the things that you could do and had to do if you were going to be a good Jewish boy or girl. But Paul says, hey, let me just tell you how God works. God works in a category. Where you aren't justified. You aren't made right with God because of how you work and don't work, because of the things that you do and that you don't do, because of how you fulfill this law or this religious framework. That God is not pleased simply based on your behavior. God is not influenced by your behavior. And I know that time that you had the test coming and you decided to barter with God. And you said, God, you know, if you do this, then I'll never do that. And God, if I'll, you know, I'll always do this, and I'll go to church every Sunday. And then, you know, God kind of came through, and you found the parking spot, you caught the green light, you closed the deal, and then you thought, man, I'm lucky. You know, what's funny about that is we barter with God, and we never hold up our end of the deal. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But, but, he said, okay, God's not going to be happy. God's not going to be happy because of the way that you behave. He says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so also we believe, or we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, Paul looks at this whole, you know, kind of opposing thoughts and said, okay, so there's these two categories. There's the rules-focused people and the not-rules-focused people. There's the rules-focused people and the not-rules-focused people. And he says, let me just tell you. Here's how you find yourself in God's good graces. Which, by the way, is the central question that all religion asks. Is how do I find myself in God's good graces? In light of how I've behaved, in light of what I've done, in light of the rules that I've followed or not followed. How do I find myself in God's good graces? And Paul here says here's what you need to know you finding yourself in god's good graces has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with what jesus did for you when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead because the idea was the idea was is that this whole law this whole religious framework this whole set of rules in the old testament had a purpose but its purpose was simple It was to show us that we are in fact sinners who need a savior. And when Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross, he would wipe away our sin, take away all the things that we had done wrong, all the things that we had done that we knew we ought not do and and, and vice versa. And that when he died on the cross, he offered ultimate forgiveness simply based on faith. But if in our endeavor, he first says in verse seventeen. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Now, that's a super confusing question. That actually asked a question that we've all asked before. Now, again, you would never say this question this way, and I would never say this question this way because we're not as biblically as the Bible is. But what he's saying is a question we've all wrestled with, which is. If that's true, if that's true, if one of the tenets of becoming in a right standing relationship with God, in a right standing with God, of being justified, of not having your sins counted against you by Almighty God, if that's true, doesn't it mean that in the acknowledgement that I can't hold up my end of the bargain, that I'm never going to be good enough, doesn't that mean that essentially God could give everybody the green light to sin? Because if rules don't matter, and my performance doesn't perform myself into god's good graces that it's only by faith and come on come on that's a system and what we all know about people is people are going to find a way to use a system and so come on i hear you and and in fact especially if your parents in here like please don't you know son daughter don't go back to this church they're telling you life doesn't matter do whatever you know via 2012 yolo i mean just kind of do whatever you want and so paul asked this hour that you know he says i I, know what you're going to say In fact, before you say this question, let me just tell you the question that you're already thinking. If my behavior does not influence my relationship with God, if my behavior does not interface with my relationship with God, if my behavior does not help me to please God, then wouldn't it stand to reason that you could just act and do whatever you wanted, however you wanted? Let me just pause. If you've ever asked that question, you are on the precipice of coming to a discovery that perhaps there is a third category for how rules interface with religion. That if you've ever thought that and said, okay, if it's just about faith, if it's just about Jesus, if it doesn't have anything to do with rules, if you can do whatever you want and God's not going to be any more or less upset with you, Can come on, come on. Isn't there an issue with that, that God is just giving the entire world a green light to sin, that anybody could come and say, I believe in Jesus, have salvation when they die, and at the end of the day, live however they want and have the best of both worlds? That is such a powerful question. Because as Paul answers that question, unearths a third category that many of us miss all the time. So this is what he says. He says certainly not for if i rebuild what i tore down i prove myself to be a traitor who says okay so if i just go back to, to, to pleasing god through the way i act here's what i'm going to learn i'm going to learn that i'm still a sinner i'm going to learn that i still can't perform my way into god's good graces and he, he, he nutshells the entire purpose of rules in verse 19 he says for through the law i have died to the law in other words, for through the law, I realized, because of the law, because of the religious framework, I realize that I can't please God, that I'm always going to be sinful, I'm always going to be sinful. There is something inside of me that always is going to will to sin. And so I realized that because of the law, I can't keep the law. But in realizing that, I might live to God. In fact, he, he, he expounds on that statement. That I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, Paul would let me just tell you, this is how it works for me. It's not that I look at all the rules that God said. Instead of look at all the things that are, you know, you ought not do and you ought not go there and, you know, you really should start doing that and you really should start getting up and you really should start reading your Bible and you really should start praying and you really shouldn't, you know, continue to go to that person's house or to that part of the town or wherever it is, he said, no, 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 come here. The reason I do what I do as a Christian is not because I'm trying to please God. It's because I believe God. It's not because I'm trying to please God. It's not because I'm trying to win God's favor. It's not because if I don't, God's going to be mad at me. And if God's mad at me, who knows what's going to happen. He'd say, it's because now, it's like God is living inside of me. Giving me the desire to live how he's called me to live. Giving me the passion and the hope to live how he has in fact called me to the he goes on with this idea he says in the life i now live in the flesh in other words while i'm still here and i still have a body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me and let me just let me just kind of tell you that at the end of the day how why this is so critical because for many of us as we view Christianity as many of us as we view a starting point in religion we think that we're going to have to 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 but here's the realization when you come to the conclusion that Jesus was in fact the son of God and when you come to the conclusion that he in fact rose from the dead you live your life by faith which means you live your life by trust which means that you believe that God knows better than you do in other words The reason I obey God as a Christian isn't because if I don't, God's going to be upset with me. It's because I believe He knows better than me. It's because I believe that the reason that we ought to stay pure outside of marriage, purity outside of marriage, whether you're already married or whether you're approaching marriage... Is because God talks about throughout the scriptures that purity paves the way to intimacy in marriage. And your Heavenly Father and my Heavenly Father want us to have incredibly intimate marriages. And so if I'm going to have intimacy in my marriage, what's critical is purity outside of marriages. And truthfully, I trust God that He's right. The reason that I give the reason that we're generous, the reason why my wife and I, every, you know, month, we kind of, we don't cut a check, we swipe a card, actually, we, you know, dial in numbers to the church, you know, and on top of that, we give to ministries, we give to organizations, we've got friends that do ministry that we give to, it's not because, oh my gosh, I'm such a generous person, everybody, look at Ben. It's because I trust God. I trust Jesus that when he said, it's better to give than to receive, he was telling the truth, and that there is something inside of the idea of giving, that as I give, God unlocks this chamber of my heart that says everything is about me and for my consumption. That I realize there's a much bigger world out there and there's a kingdom of God that's advancing and I get to play a part. The reason I read my Bible and I pray It's because the Bible says God's word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That there are times in life that I don't know which way is the right way, which way is the wrong way. And I know that God's word sheds light because it has been around for so long and it has helped so many people that it could go into situations that I don't know what to do and help give me direction and how to make a decision that will honor God and at the same time bring glory to him. And, And as a consequence of all that stuff, most times it makes me happier. The reason... We do what God says is not because of a categorical disposition that I am going to make God happy through my behavior. The reason we do what we do as Christians, the way that roles interface with religion is through the realization that I will never be able to please God more than he was pleased with me when Jesus died on the cross. And of that realization that he is the son of God, I'm looking at it and saying, if you are God, if you are the son of God, if you in fact rose from the dead, which is piece one, then piece two is I I trust you more than I trust myself because my heart is incredibly deceptive you know remember when I was you know, 16, 17 years old and I prayed for like a Lamborghini like God if you could just you know give that to me and in hindsight I'm like God I would have died day three you know <laughs> you prayed for a relationship and said God you know I just pray that they'll be the right guy or they'll be the right girl and then you go to your 10 year reunion you're like I'm so thankful they weren't the right girl, I or the right girl You know, you've prayed over and over, God, if you'll just, you know, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. God, if you'll help me get into this major, if you'll help me to get into this program, then I'll do this. And then if you look back at your career now, you say, I'm so glad that God did better than I did. I'm so glad that sometimes God didn't give me what was the desire of my heart because my heart is often wrong. But God is always Right. So here's the bottom line. How do rules interface with religion? Specifically, how do rules interface with Christianity? It's not that I have to, it's that I want to. It's not that I have to. It's not that if I don't, God's going to be mad and God's going to be upset. It's that I want to. Because <laughs> I trust. That if he, in fact, is the son of God and he rose from the dead, then perhaps, I know this is crazy, perhaps he knows more than I do and perhaps I ought to listen to what he has to say. And Paul finishes this whole thought process with this last verse, verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness, for if getting a right standing with God, were through the law or through my behavior or through my adherence to a set of rules, that Christ died for no purpose. In other words, and if you ever think, if you ever think that your behavior influences your standing with God, then let me tell you what the natural end to that assumption is. That you, in fact, can make yourself right with God, in which case, Jesus Christ would be purposeless but it's not that god has given the green light to sin it's that when you come to the conclusion that he's the son of god it stands to reason that you can come to the conclusion that he knows more than you And this life you live you live by faith which means you live by trust Which means you live by the active day-to-day realization that God, you know better than I do. And so God, I'm going to trust you today and do what you say I ought to do over what I feel like I want to do. Because I trust you. Now, again, bottom line. You will never, you will never please God with your behavior. But you can always... Be compelled by God, and trust God, not to please Him, but because you believe Him. So, for anybody in here, maybe perhaps you're struggling with this idea of religion. You're struggling with this idea of rules. Maybe you got someone at home that you know that's kind—they've of, kind of just gone wayward. Perhaps somebody in your family. Perhaps you know one of your employees, your coworkers. And as you're looking at, you know, how do I influence? How do I talk? Let me me just tell you. You need to show with them how you live and perhaps at some point communicate with them that the role of rules is not to please God, but we simply do what God says because we believe God, not because we have to, because we want to. And the idea is, as they see people, as you see people, as I see people who gladly and willingly and joyfully live how God has called us to live because we want to, not because there's some religious framework that's making us. People will see that and say, that is different. That's someone who isn't behaving because they have to. Because if they don't, God's going to put them in time. That's someone who's behaving and believing, because they want to. So step two, to a starting point in faith, is to realize. The role of rules, the role of rules is to do what God says because we believe God, not to please God. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you so much for preserving these documents that Paul wrote where he just clarified this discord that was happening in the church. God, inside of each one of us is a tendency to go one or the other way. Inside of each one of us is a tendency to be rules, 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 or who cares, who cares, who cares, rebellious. God, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us in any area of our life, perhaps, that for right now, we don't trust you? To know that you know better than us. That this life that we live now, we live by faith. And I, God, I pray for anyone who is struggling with the idea of coming to an adult starting point in faith in this room. That you will so deeply implant inside of them that how they live has no bearance, has no relevance for your pleased or displeasure with them. God, but it's only through what you did through your son, our Savior Jesus. And God, because of that, because you gave your one and only son for us, we trust you. To the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.